Hi, I'm Monta Douglas, a former British record holder and the first British woman to compete in the Summer and Winter Olympic Games. And this is the Olympic Mindset Podcast. The fastest way to executing and getting success is just knowing how to crack the code. And you have to learn, like I said, to lose as well as win. I was always holding back in the fear of doing that. This one thing's not going to make a difference. The Olympic mindset says that one thing will be the different. Hello and welcome to the Olympic mindset. Join us as we explore stories from elite individuals and learn what it takes to be a leader. The Olympic Mindset Podcast welcomes you to a network of inspirational individuals and signposts what it takes to succeed. We will take this opportunity to map the mindset of Olympium and apply these learnings to each of us. Thanks for joining me at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Olympic Mindset Podcast, brought to you by Pearson, the world's learning organisation. This week's episode, we speak to Montel Douglas. She's a very, very special guest because she's one of very few athletes to ever compete in the Summer and Winter Olympics and represent her country. Montel is the former British 100m world record holder before moving on to try the bobsleigh, finishing in the top 10 in her world bobsleigh debut. Now, this is a fantastic episode because Montel attempts to explore, in her own words, her ability to crack the code for success, not just in sport, but also in her academic and working life. There's another reason this episode is so special. Montel has very recently been named one of the newest gladiators, Fire. You might be aware that Gladiators is a reboot of the famous 1990s television series, so we're really excited to see Montel back on our screens competing in yet another guise and proving how she has had sustained success in a range of different things. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe or follow wherever you receive your podcast for free. It really helps. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Before today's episode begins, I wanted to take a moment of your time to talk to you about our latest partner. Today's episode is brought to you by ClassVR from Avantis Education. ClassVR is an award-winning all-in-one VR and AR system for schools. It's designed specifically to help raise student engagement and increase knowledge retention. I was first introduced to ClassVR back in 2017 when I was a deputy head teacher and it provided me with creating exceptional learning environments. And it has done for more than 1 million students in over 100,000 classrooms in 90 countries across the globe. ClassVR is unique in that it was designed from the ground up solely for education. Headsets are classroom ready with everything an educator needs to deliver fully immersive VR and AR learning experiences to their students. And with thousands of curriculum-led resources, your children can walk with dinosaurs, hold a beating heart in their hands or travel the world without leaving the classroom. Now, regular listeners will know that I'm a passionate educator and I'm lucky enough to have experienced Class VR firsthand in my classroom. And I can't tell you how wonderful it was to witness when my students were truly engaged in their learning. ClassVR empowers teachers to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. If you're interested, visit classvr.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me today. How are you? No, I'm doing well. Um, like this time of the year, just things started off quite chill and then suddenly they just go and then you realise, oh, okay, we really have to do this. But, um, but I'm enjoying lots of like new things this year. So it's the year of the new for me. That's what I've coined it. So I'm really excited. <laughs> I like it. So we're in January. Any New Year's resolutions for you? Do you know what? I don't do any resolutions um, because I'm always setting goals all the time. So I feel like it's just kind of like, I feel like Valentine's Day. You only celebrate Valentine's Day if you don't really do anything throughout the year, I believe. Um, so I kind of just set goals all the time. But I think for me, the most important thing has been about my own um, personal self-care because I do so much. I left I kind of leave me out a lot of the time and it is really important and I've, I've, I need to prioritize that so my only kind of resolution for me was to kind of allow myself to have a bit more compassion and just give myself a break every now and then like don't run yourself to the ground just because you just because you can and because you're used to it doesn't mean that it's always going to be the best thing for myself so 
yeah, that's my only goal for myself this year. I like it. And obviously you're here today, not just because you're clearly a mental health advocate, which we'll get onto in a bit, but because you, you made history as the first British female Olympian to compete in the Summer and Winter Olympics. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Like this year has been, it's been a whirlwind, but it's, all, it's been very up and down. It has, it's not always been the smoothest. Um, there's been massive, massive, obviously achievements and kind of groundbreaking stuff from personally in and professionally um but there's always that okay how do you get there and it has been challenging but I really did embrace um going to the games this year um because it's, it's just I had a different perspective going 14 years later than the first games um I'm older I'm wiser I'm more experienced I kind of know it inside out so definitely way more prepared um and actually yeah just I could just take it in a bit more then I did the first time round. I was really, really keen on just enjoying the experience and staying in the moment. 14 years is a big gap between Olympics. Talk us through why such a big gap and what did you do in that period? It's like how I answer most of the questions when people say, why did you do something? I always say, why not? I kind of didn't really retire from, from track and field officially. I transitioned into a different space. Um, but what it allowed me to do was kind of reinvent myself as an athlete. And I was back on a national team. I was back performing, travelling the world. Um, at high performance once again after probably I guess my last biggish gosh performance I remember when I was around 25 and I won the Commonwealth gold um, and that was 2010 um, yeah 24 and then from between 24 to when I've joined Bob saying 31 those kind of six seven years were real, they were really tough trying to battle through I went to America to train um, it worked really well and then I got really big so I was going to have really big rewards again had really big injuries and that pulled me back changed coaches um, had kind of like to be honest not the best experience with um, my coaching setup at one point so I had to really I think different and at all this time I was developing as a person as well so I'm getting older and I'm learning a bit more like what you need what you don't need and and, and how to get it and um, so late 20s for me was probably the best time and I transitioned to my my last coach which was the best transition that I had in terms of piecing everything together. Um, but it just happened that I was I ended up performing really well and then it was it was almost just not good enough. <laughs> like I wasn't making teams. Um I got I, I got missed out on a couple of teams like the next Commonwealths and then um Europeans at one point and I just had enough. I was like and even even one of our statisticians who's like well known in the community had said like you should really be there. And it was like the European champs. He was like, you should really be there right now. And I was like, I know. I feel like that I should be, but it, it just wasn't, I wasn't hitting it where I needed to and I wasn't being selected. So I just thought, you know what? I am getting older. And I and I was propositioned multiple times by one of the coaches in Bobsleigh to transfer over. And I turned him down two years in a row. Um, I was like, no, I'm not ready. No, I'm not ready. Um, because I just changed my coaching setup. I didn't want to ruffle too much. I wanted to try this properly again. And it, two years in, I was just like, oh, my gosh, I'm still in the same position. So I thought, you know what? Why not? I'll go and try it. And I, I did the testing. I broke the testing record and got the record for British bobsleigh. And then within, this was in, like, 2016, January 2017, I was behind a bobsleigh getting our best results that my pilot had ever got before. So it was, it was, it kind of, it was like another happenstance for me. I tried something new. An opportunity came up. I said yes. And then the rest is the rest is literally history um, and I feel like the gap is due to due to you don't know sometimes when enough is enough you want to try your best but it's kind of like when is the time to step away or when is the time where you know you could actually perform better in another arena whether that's professionally whether that's if you've got say you're doing a subject you're like oh, I don't really like doing this I remember at school I really wanted to do physiotherapy and in university my physiotherapy therapist who's one of the best in the country told me not to do physiotherapy because he was like, number one, there's no jobs. And secondly, he was like, you're not going to be able to um, train for the Olympics doing that kind of degree. And that actually changed what I studied and, and allowed me to go different ways. So I feel like just making those decisions, sometimes you've got to make the decision that doesn't always, it might not be what you wanted, but you can actually still get your goal in a different avenue. What are the learnings that you've taken from the experiences you've had with changing coaches, realising that sometimes you can't work with certain people and why? I mean, First of all, what happened? What was it that made you realise that you couldn't work with those people? And and how did you approach that? Not necessarily removing those people from your life, because that's that's a bit dramatic, but making sure that you surrounded yourself with people that had your best interests at heart and would get the best from you. How did you work that out? So 
I think with everything, the fastest way to some to see something is is just knowing how to crack the code. So there is always the right way, wrong way. You can say that if you like. Sometimes there isn't, but there is a best and a better way. So like you said, there's many roads to Rome is definitely kind of, if you think of that in itself, it doesn't matter what age you are or where you are in your life. If you can have a shortcut, which means that you don't make the same mistake someone else would be, you just basically cut your time and your potential chances of executing and getting success happens faster. So learning from, for example, the people around me, having mentors, having older athletes definitely around me. I mean, when I joined my first um, international elite group, I was 16 years old. So I was national junior champion as one in 100 double sprint champion at 16 and then joined a group with, I was the youngest by far. And one of my favourite athletes in the group was about 14 years plus older than me um just just come back from the games olympic games two years before that had already in the top four in the world you know what i mean like real high elite people and i was just this kind of kid like what is going on here but what i learned from having those people around me was how to be the athlete that i needed to be to succeed and that made all the difference because you just don't know what you don't know but right now for example there's so much information out there you can access that thing a lot quicker. When I, in 2007, when I went to the World Championships first time and I got silver at the European under 23s in Europe, I, we just had Facebook, like it just came up for the first yeah. time, imagine. So I, I remember my friend saying, oh, there's this thing called Facebook. And I was like, what? It's like a book of faces. Like, what is that? And um, literally, we didn't have a clue what was going on. And so the way times have changed now, access to that information and people, is so different now and the YouTube is so different so I had to learn pretty much from other people like what was going on there seeing what they're doing almost having that, that virtual experience from a side um but with regards to me being in my my coaching environment it was definitely basically a place where I am very much an athlete and a person that I love to know the the, the why and the how as opposed to the what I'm a strong advocate for knowing how to do something well. Just because you can do it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to repeat it. Because there's so many talented athletes out there that will go in their run, they run really fast, and they've got no clue how to repeat performance. And it's very frustrating as an athlete if you don't know how to replicate performance because you're basically chasing something that you don't know what how to get there. So I really wanted to, I asked a lot of questions. I wanted to know a lot of things. And I felt that my coaching setup, like my coach really didn't, it didn't, Really not I felt like didn't want me to learn, just wanted me to do. Admit, almost like a clash of, not just, not personality, because we got on fine, but more in terms of how we work. Like, how does it, how do we get to the end goal together? I wanted yeah. to know why. They just like, just do it. Um, but what happened, I learned from before that I'd already done that before in the past. So my experiences told me, it was about five years before that, I managed to be like British record holding 100 metres. But actually, I have no clue how I did it because when I was learning and training at the time, we did something where we basically, I drilled it into my body. So I was able to just run at that time, at that speed, that fast, 400 metres because the way we trained it, I didn't necessarily know the intricate details of body position, my arms got to be here, my legs got to be here, this is what you kind of do. I just kind of knew the whole picture as opposed to how to break it up. Being in that environment, I just found it really challenging because I was just frustrated all the time. And I got to a point where it was at nationals and I just thought, I know I'm in better shape than this, but I can't bring out my performance because I feel like I'm restricted. And I just thought, I, the only way I know, I know I'll be able to perform is if I remove myself from this and just be, and bring myself back into the fold. Because I was losing myself completely as an athlete, losing. And then I did that. And within, a, you know, within less than two weeks, competing around my fastest time since the Olympic Games in my seven years in both the 100 and 200 so that showed me that I knew what I was doing I knew what I was talking about because that athlete is not a different athlete two weeks later but mentally I was a different athlete emotionally I was a different athlete so therefore you can bring out the physical performance if I put myself in this best state that I could to perform then I get the results but I would never have done that had I not then said this is not working what can I change I'm going to change this one thing and then you get the, the results that you want. I love the term you used earlier, cracking the code. I think it's so true. As you get older, you feel like you start to recognise patterns and recognise things that are good for you and, and, and not good for you. So we're talking about cracking the code now. If you could go back and talk to a young Montel and give her this advice, yeah. if you could distill it down into three, four, five things, what would you say to her? How does she crack the code for success? One thing for me 
is personal development is the biggest thing like the investment in yourself is the biggest investment you can ever have and it's not the kind of cliche oh my gosh you just got to learn stuff books and stuff no I'm talking about you've got to know what ticks you off what gets you going what you're passionate about what your absolute non-negotiables what you will not stand for as a person um but also what you want out of those things those are the things you need to answer and the more you know about those things as a person, the better you'll be. So I know very new, very, very, very rarely on. And I've looked back at myself and go, number one for me was to back myself. Um, especially young people now, I guess definitely like Gen Z, are way more um, empowered about who they are, what they want, and which is fantastic because you get that confidence. Because when you have the confidence to try and do something, your intention to do it is different. So if I really feel I can, even if I can't do it, I'm going to be better off actually just believing that I can. Whereas I was very much, I was very, very extremely humble and almost to the point my humility held me back a bit because I just didn't want to shine. I was very afraid of my success and what I could be. So I very much would, as we call it, run to my um, run to my company, which means whoever I was in the room with, whatever race I was in, I would always run just enough. So I could be in a race with girls that would run 12, zero, 12 seconds. I would run 11.99. Or if I was in a, in a race with girls that run 11 flat seconds, I would try and run 10.99. It's that kind of mentality. I would always try and do just enough because I didn't want to outshine people all the time. I didn't want to be like um, braggadocious and I wasn't like that. But number one, I would definitely say to myself, you need to back yourself. Just believe in what you can do. Number two, absolutely know who you are. Um, know that it's okay to, that you, I, I'm not a quitter. Like that's why I've been doing this for 20 years. That's why, I, which is why I do everything and everything. Cause I don't really like to stop things, but know that as yourself, that you're actually probably not going to quit. So just in, enjoy the journey because you're going to just keep plodding and plodding on and keep pushing and keep pushing on. And it's quite different now because everyone wants microwave success. Everyone wants it today, yesterday, now. And actually, in reality, it's not always realistic to have those successes, overnight successes. It happens more now, for sure. But to rely on that, it just, you just, you, you, you have to, which would be my next thing, be manage your expectations. Thing I never thought ever about being an athlete until I'd already been to an Olympic Games. When I, that people ask, what did you, when did you always know you want to be an athlete? Were you, I was not that kid watching the Olympics going, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I, I wasn't the person that was like, I'm going to be a professional athlete. No, I loved sport. I loved competing. And I just enjoyed what I enjoyed and found like my skills in the things that I enjoyed. So, but you don't know what you don't know. So if you don't know you like something, you don't know you can be good at it unless you try it. I would absolutely say take every opportunity because I definitely did that, but I would have taken more opportunities earlier. As funny as, that, as I'm now, I'd say that. I'd definitely say, if other things come up, do not be afraid to choose a different path because it might lead to the same goal. We get wrapped up in the goal and it's like the only path is the, the Olympic road. We're not Dorothy out here. It doesn't have to be the Olympic road. It can be the blue road or the green road. Or it can be the silver road. We don't know. But it might end up at the same place. But you don't know until you try it. And if you don't try it, then you end up just tricking yourself. They're kind of like my, my key points, I think, just like backing yourself, knowing yourself, taking opportunities, um, but also not being afraid to take a different path. It's really interesting to hear you talk about being so humble and, and maybe not pushing yourself to achieve the full success you could have when you've made history. British 100 metre record holder, top 10, Bob Slay on your debut. So I think when I'm looking at you, I find it really fascinating to, to unpick where that kind of mixture of humility but this extreme success you've had has come from how much of a percentage would you put your success down to of nature or nurture great question I always think sometimes that definitely absolutely Nate I think it's a com a com definitely a combined there are things that you absolutely won't get away from from who you are it doesn't mean you can't change but understanding who your your core self is is very valuable and the only reason why I say that before I would have said that, no, you can kind of manipulate anything. You know, it doesn't matter who you are from the beginning. I can just make a champion from the beginning. And I truly believe that before because you see a lot kids that train from four years old to 10. They're basically professional by the time they get to 11 years old. Whereas if you have someone who's just talented, who starts at 10, their training age is zero. So they've got a lot more capacity. So I used to believe that. But, but 
I then read my reception card. I was six years old, a report card about three years ago. And um, so it was like almost 30 years later. And I was reading this report card and I'm like, I'm the same person. <laughs> this is insane. And it was so weird because I was like, six-year-old Monty is 36-year-old Monty. Like literally is the same person in terms of the very specific words that my teacher used describing me saying about my report. So like Monty finds it, like really likes to know the, the, the why about things, she always asks lots of questions. Monty will, will find it quite um, confusing um, managing certain, like it's a relationship, stuff like that in the class. And I'm very black and white. So, you know, at one point for me, I'd always say to people at the time, I said, look, I, I think I'm a little bit on the spectrum, like on the spectrum I did. I've never been tested before, but I really did consider it because I was like, I recognise in myself the literacy of why I am. I, I'm very literal. If you say to me that thing, you have to go left, I will only go left. And it's difficult to live in the grey for me. But I was like there at six. And uh, to be honest, I'm like that now, 30 years later. So nature is very much, that is my personality, my core values. But have I learned, knowing that I'm a perfectionist, how to fail? Absolutely. And that's nurture. Have I been able to thrive in an environment, take opportunities and fail over and again? Because my parents gave me absolutely no pressure to be great, to, to, to succeed, to be the best, to push never did that they just let me be me and encourage me the whole way that's that's the nurture part of it um and I actually learned that the other day when I broke the British record I was at dinner with my dad a, a Christmas Eve literally about a month ago now just a, and he said to me he remembers getting the call about me breaking the visual for my mum and he said your mum called me and I didn't know this story I learned stuff new every day and I meet my parents and I said he got the call and he said your mum rang me and said she's done it Oh, she's done it and he was like what what she's like she's broken the British record she's actually done it because my coach had said before look I think she's in a good place like we could do and um my dad said that he was shaking like physically shaking and he doesn't even say well done to anything by the way ever and then he said to me he said he put the phone down and his immediate reaction was okay now we've done that he goes now where are we going to go next <laughs> like and I said, now that is why I am the way I am, because you have nurtured me into being so resilient that I don't have even take a minute to go, what have I achieved? I just look for the next thing because he was like, all right, we've done that now. What are we going to, what, we, where are we going to go now? And we've got, he, he's even said, we've got to go to the world. He was like, we've got to go and like beat the world now, <laughs> something like that. And I thought, so that's why actually it, it lends itself to me always thinking in the next step and not being able to like to be humble to embrace you know what that like you said I've made history I've enjoyed it just enjoy the moment it was kind of like how do we make something even bigger and better because of how I was raised honestly as a dad what what advice would you have clearly you were brought up in a certain way my, my daughter seemed to have a similar mindset to you how can I help her how can I support her in just making sure she's happy and she gets to achieve the things she wants to achieve because ultimately I don't care if she's successful. I just want her to be happy, you know, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, you know, it sounds like you didn't have a pushy parent. What advice would you give to me as a dad? I would, that's tricky as well, not being a, not being a parent, honestly, one day. Um, but, yeah, but you were raised by parents that turned you into a British record holder. So I'll take you <laughs> I don't know. They, they look at you and they're like, I'm like, how did you do this? They're like, well. Have you got any siblings, Monty? I've got a younger brother. He's like seven years. He's going to be 30 actually this year. You're the eldest then. Yeah, and he's um I'm the oldest, yeah. And so that also was a thing because when you're the oldest, you I, I think I don't know the similar for you, I got way more attention um because I'm the first child. So, you know, when you're new parents, you're like, Oh my gosh, baby and I I was read to it every night. I, they went to stuff that they were always there and stuff. And it was only us two, so it, but there's a seven year gap. So and they actually only I remember my mum asked me one day, she went, What do you want? Do you want a brother or a bike? <laughs> And I said, obviously, I said a brother because here he is. But um, I, I wonder what would happen if I said a bike at the time because I'm sure it was probably too late by, by then. Um, I was on my own, obviously, and I, I really wanted a sibling. But it's a tricky question to answer because I think people have the liberty to parent how they want to parent. But I would say that, as you can see, Lila is the way she is because that's the way she is. She's tenacious. She's, she, she's diligent. She's persistent because that's her core, her values. One of the things that we that some people have is finding out what she doesn't have well, which is, for example, some kids are super talented. They like winning, but they absolutely despise losing. And it's very difficult to understand how to be the best if you cannot learn, you don't learn how to fail. 
someone said once, and I, I said it to athletes prior after, I said, you will know, they're running, they're getting frustrated doing stuff. And I said, look, until you learn how to lose, you will never win. Because you need to understand that the losing is part of our learning. And that when we lose, we come second. It sometimes it's out of our control. If you so happened to run the fastest time and PB, is that when you one of your control? If you come first or second, is that in your control? Absolutely not. Because it's not about actually being the best. It's about being your best self. And sometimes your best self might not be enough on the day. Sometimes, like mine was on that one day, mine was the best ever. And actually, at the time, I was so frightened of doing that. That's why I always held back. Because I was just like, if I try my best, then what's going to happen? And the one time I did try my best, it happened to be like, no one's done it before. I'm like, oh my gosh, now what's going to come on on board? But managing expectations, I think, especially from anyone that was just born like 2000 mids upwards is huge. It's so skewed, the expectations of what is reality. We know what life is like, really. And they just don't have, a, people don't have a clue until you get there. You're just like, oh my gosh, I even said today, why does everyone keep talking about growing up? It's a trap. I don't know why you'd want to get older. I don't know why you'd want to be an adult. It's just like, why? It's painful. It's like, why would you want to do normal stuff? But managing, so examples, I'm Lila's expectations in that, actually, when she doesn't do well, it's rather than going, you know what, I'm annoyed that I came second. It's like, how, okay, what do I need to do to make that better? Actually, oh, I actually, I recognise what I didn't do there. Oh, gosh, that means that there's more I can do with X, Y, Z. Because I, I tell you just a one quick story. I learned this at 10 years old because I had my first race in primary school and it was school sports day. And my teacher, Miss um, White, she didn't let me race with the girls. She made me race with the boys. And my dad was like, why are you letting my little girl race with the boys? Like, imagine, like, like, why can't you just let her race in the girls' race? And my teacher was like, Joe, every time, like, she races, she, she basically beats all, all the girls. It's not really fair. And so my teacher bet me that I could beat everyone in the class, all, all the boys. And my first race, I came second in and got picked at the line. Uh, but what I realised in that moment was that it didn't matter whether I won, lost or drew. It only mattered to 10-year-old Montel that if I did my best, then I'd be happy. And I took that all the way up to the Olympic Games, that it didn't matter where I came and placed. If I was on the line and I did my absolute best, then I would be happy. It did, I can't control anything else. But the only time I'd be satisfied is say, did I do my best? Yeah, well, then that's all we can ask for and then we can keep it moving. I like that. That's great advice. And uh, hopefully she'll listen to this when she's older and listen to your <laughs> advice. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think what you've touched on there is something... You do see it in a lot of successful people. Obviously, most of the people I've interviewed on this podcast have had moments of personal growth, whether it was Derek's hamstring popping in the 92 Olympics or whatever it might have been. If you go back and look at your life, were there any moments that were particular growth moments for you where you failed or lost or had an obstacle to overcome? And then what did you do to overcome that and come back from it or bounce back from that? So my biggest losses, actually, um, definitely were more injury-based because they really prevented me from feeling potential in certain key areas, certain times in my life where it was just like, oh my gosh, because losing, it's kind of like there and thereabouts. If I was able to train the right and do the right thing, I then I generally got results. It's when I couldn't put the work in, then obviously it amplifies and you can see it and all the cracks show up. So I had really, I had knee surgery right after the Olympic Games. So it was kind of the biggest fall because came off British record holder. I was a professional athlete, sponsored, um, just finished from the games, like every finished my university degree. So I'm now just in full term, term, term training. And then I had a really bad injury, had to get surgery. And the doctor basically said to me that I wasn't going to be able to um, run again. Like just said, you're not going to run as fast as you ran before, for sure. And he said, you, you probably won't run for a year. And this was in a, this winter in October. And he said, I wouldn't run until the following, like the next, next summer. What year was this? This was 2010, 2009, sorry. So yeah. winter 2009, so games 2008. I had a really good, well, a really up and down year. But I couldn't do any blocks, couldn't get out of the sprint blocks, couldn't do anything up. It was awful because I had this knee problem. So every time I loaded it, I was just in agony. So I had cartilage and meniscus damage. And he just said, you know what? And I couldn't walk for three months. So I was, my leg was just in the air. I was on crutches for three months and I had to learn how to walk again. So when you go from being 
the fastest of all time <laughs> to then not being able to like walk to the toilet on your own. I was hopping everywhere. It was icy. It was January. It was snow. I had surgery in November 2009. Um, and then three months later, I was learning how to walk. It was icy, snowing. I'm skidding around. I'm having to do one-legged cleans and one-legged snatch and squat. Look, just built jumps, building certain things around my legs. And I overcome that by asking myself each time, like, what was important now? So how do I, what do I need to do today to make tomorrow better? Um, and really bring it down to those marginal gains, so like 1%, 1% of something that's it because I didn't need I was very far back from where I need to be so learning to walk was like okay learning to walk three months then six months I was jogging really really slowly and like crawling and striding and then managed to build day by day and only focused on what I could physically do at that moment in time to then do it but I would I mean I was doing sessions in my head like two hour sessions sitting going to the track going through my warm-up in my head going through runs in my head because I was matching the brain with the body because the body couldn't do it, but the brain could do it. And the body wouldn't know if I wasn't doing it, if I just thought about it, it just thinks you're doing it. Do you know there are studies that show that some athletes that have done that have exhibited strength, increased strength in their muscles when they've just tricked the brain into thinking they've worked out? No, didn't have a clue. And now it made sense why I came back so quick because neurally, as in neuromuscularly, my brain's... That there was the the firing was still going on. One of the key things was that I learned, and I definitely learned this from someone like Dame Kelly Holmes, and um, because I did a lot of stuff with her when I was younger, I looked up to. It was about you know, and it never stops training. So suddenly people get injured and they're like, can't do anything. I'm like, there's loads you can do. There's nothing wrong with your arms or something. So you've done a, an ankle. Your other ankle's fine, or your core is fine. You can do some, you know, get core, do upper body. Always keep training. Always think, what can I do? And that's kind of what kept me um, steadfast. But men your body always heals, right? Mentally, the challenge is always how you're going to get back mentally and understanding that you can get back, but you have to work almost twice as hard on the mental because we're always training the physical way more than the mental. It's not a conscious effort. But where I was doing, for example, those visual visualisation, and I was thinking about sessions, I was training the mental side of my training a lot. That's what I was actually trying to practice that, which got really, really good. So when I got back, I was I just started flying straight away. So even when the doctors and the physio said to me, like, you're basically running on one leg, because physically I hadn't caught up, but I could run fast. I mean, I ran 11 four that year, just of barely any training, like six weeks, barely any training, because I just, just from what I was doing prior. How much of your success do you think you can put down to your mental strength your mental preparation and your actual your physical attributes the things that you were born with oh tricky that's hard because I feel like the mental attributes are a part of what you're born with as well maybe I should rephrase the question I guess maybe there would have been a lot of people that could potentially have run as fast as you but they never did you did where do you think that came from do you think it was down to your mental strength or down to how you advanced physically yeah, I say definitely, I'm not even going to lie, I think 90% mental, I'm not going to lie, 10% physical, especially if you compare like with like. So I always say the same thing. There are m millions of talented people every day in all walks of life doing different things. And I always say to especially young people now, you've got nine-year-olds, seven-year-olds that are like the fastest in the world. And I'm really crude and really, and I'll be like, so who cares? And the reason why I say that is because I try to explain to other athletes that compare themselves to those athletes. And I said, they might not even be here in five years time. You have to understand what that's like. There are people that I could reel off my tongue right now that were world junior champions in this country, the best in the world. Some of them beat some of the most decorated, for example, US Olympians of all time. So they are a US Olympian medalist of all time, most decorated. And, the, and I can mention a name that beat them at 18 years old and you wouldn't even know who they are. Who's that? Venetia James. Okay. So, Zach, you don't know who she is. So, Venetia is like one of the most talented athletes we've ever had in the country. I joined the group at 16. She was two years older than me, about 18. She won the World Juniors. She beats people like Sanya Richards, who is a multi-Olympic medalist. So, Sanya, Alison Felix was in that race. Um, can't remember, there was one other, oh, that was in the, in the same race at 18 years old. Imagine, that's at World Junior Championships. And no one knows who Venetia is because she didn't carry on doing athletics. She stopped because of 
life stuff, your personal stuff and background. There's lots of things that get in people's way. You know, you could you become a teenager. It could be things like, but wait, it wasn't these things. For example, like, wait, it could be money. It could be, because not everyone's got the same privilege of access to things. It could be boyfriends, girlfriends, that happens. It could be, oh, you need to get a job now. It could be family saying, right, you've been doing this for five years now. You're not making any, you're not doing, you're not doing any great things. Like, are you going to get a job? Are you going to get a real job? And that pressure is real. I've had friends that came back from Tokyo, parents, like family, and they're like late 20s, 30s even. Their parents are still like, so when are you going to get a job? And they've just come back from the Olympic Games because the pressures of life gets get got, got on the way and gets in the way. So those athletes, you don't know who they are, but they just kept going. I feel like the reason I say it's 90% is because anyone can train. Any People that don't even run athletics can come and do my session. They might not last the whole week, but they can come in and train and physically you'll get better and better and better. There is always a ceiling because of talent would always give you the ceiling. But the difference that separates one person from another will always be like how they do stuff and the way they think. Always. So when you're you're tired, when you can't bother, when you're when you're questioning things, that's the thing that overcomes stuff. It's very rarely the body. So what do you do then if you are pursuing a particular dream or goal and everybody keeps telling you to stop or you're struggling with stuff at home? I mean, how do these people listening to this podcast carry on in pursuit of that dream when everything seems to be stacked up against them? Again, massively, they have to manage their expectations in the sense that when people, I said definitely when athletes, some of young athletes come into this game, for very example, track and field, they want to run 100 metres. What they think they're going to get out of running a male 9-9 and a female sub-11 doesn't always reflect what they are going to get. They might think, for example, automatic stardom, they're going to be milking it in money. They're going to be professional athletes. Don't have to work anymore. And the reality is that it's just not true. So when you expect something to happen and you work towards something and it doesn't align, that's when you have a mismatch. And you start thinking, hang on a second, this is not what I signed up for here. Because if you all tell me I want to run this today, like this year, I'm going to basically, for example, as a coach, say to you, this is what you have to do to get there. You're going to have to work this, 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 and this. It's like now in a corporate job, you know, senior managers or managers on if they're on six figures, but they're telling you you're going to have to work six days a week and you're going to have to work 90 hour weeks. Some people are going to say, yeah, fine. I could, that's what I expect to happen. Some people are like, There's a, that's a non-negotiable. I'm not doing that. So therefore, what you want to achieve isn't in line with what you're willing to do to get there. Okay. So you're talking about what you're willing to sacrifice to get to a certain place has to match that goal. Exactly. And everyone is different. Every There's no judgment on like what you can take to get there but understand what it takes might not always reflect what you think it's going to be so where it came from my point of view when you asked what do you think the difference was or what do you think how do you get someone how do they get there mine is you have to understand like I said yourself and your non-negotiables if, if for you not not basically maybe not having any money and sacrificing family time birthdays I mean this is my first birthday my birthday wasn't Tuesday first birthday in five years with any loved ones around because I was always on season Bob says season some people it's really important to celebrate stuff but you know I've not been around for mine or my partner's birthday for the last five years that is a sacrifice to some people they're not willing to take whereas I knew what it meant signing up for it my other half being away for four months of the year my other half knows what that means you know friendship it's challenging as well on top of the on top of that so when you're younger you're doing that same thing you're having birthdays you can't go out I miss my prom, why? Because I got I got prom. I remember I got a dress and everything. I've had a dress for about 10 years. The, I never wore the dress, never wore the dress because I missed it because I had GB selection the same weekend. And I made a choice. I went to go GB selection. I could have not and gone, you know what? There's going to be another GB selection. I'm going to I'm gonna do well probably. I'm going to do it again. I want to do my prom. I only get one. But actually, I, never, I haven't ever gone to my prom. I missed that because I made the decision and the sacrifice, like you said, for what I wanted to achieve. I love that. I think success isn't automatic and you're not owed anything. And just because, you you know, and even those people that do work those 90 hours that you said or make all those sacrifices, they don't necessarily achieve that goal. Unfortunately, that's, that's a really hard truth that I'm sure you've learned and I've learned along the way that you can put everything into something and still not achieve it. So I'm going to go back a bit to something you said earlier, which really struck a chord with me, where you said that um, you felt that you were good enough to get to the European Championships. You had other people telling you you should be there, but essentially the coaches didn't choose you how did that affect you when your self-esteem and your self-image and your idea of what you were doing didn't match somebody else's perception of you 
Pearson, the world's learning company, we're all about supporting lifelong learning. And as we all know, one of the best ways to learn is from each other. That's why we asked almost 7,000 teachers and senior leaders in England about schools today and what their future should look like. In our brand new Pearson School Report, you'll discover what they have to say on the topics that matter, from the barriers to learning that we need to break down, to evolving what students learn and how. Whether you're looking for a different perspective or to spark new ideas, there's something in the report for you. Read more at go.pearson.com forward slash the school report and join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Pearson School Report. Um, how did it affect me? Yeah. I think it did one of two things. So first of all, just because the kind of person I am and I'm always very self-critical, I'm the most critical person. And you, can, you, you probably resonate with that a lot. Um, always looking internally. What is it? What can I be better? How better in it? I set myself, and I will set myself almost unachievable, impossible, never done goals. I, I do it all the time where it's kind of like, because I always, although I'm very much, I'm very humble and I say, okay, I won't brag about what I've done. I truly feel like anyone can do anything that they want. And I'm and I'm included in that. I'm like, if I do put my mind to it and do this, this, I can actually achieve it. It might take well, forever or it might be this, but I know I could do that. But the difference between, I guess, everyone saying, people saying, you should be there, you should be there. And I'm like, mm, is it enough? Number one, it definitely made me think realistically, because I'm, I'm very much, I think, a realist. Um, in terms of I, I had to really step back and say where am I right now what have I put in and what am I getting out and does it match up with what I expect to be getting out considering you know I was working as well I had a job I was training less a little bit what, what am I getting what I what I'm what I should be owed because there are like you said no guarantees of success in any game nothing which is like you said the hardest truth because there is no way of you going a plus b like my friend said the other day you know, a, she goes to me, I can't wait to have kids because you're going to be wondering why A plus B isn't AB. <laughs> I was looking at her like, yeah, you're right. She goes, because you're very much like, why doesn't it make sense? Um, it definitely made me look internally even more. I think, where am I? But it also made me celebrate where I was and think, no, actually, I actually do think that it's good enough. But it made me think outside the box and started looking at, not the yellow brick road, like I mentioned before, start looking at that blue road over there, that red road over there. Because I thought, well, if I've got, I am in really great shape. I had really good skill set. I trained my butt off. I thought I could, I can still use these skills that I've developed. But how can I use them? And that's when I took a different route, 12 state. And then, like I said, breaking just even the testing record showed myself you are actually in the place that you think you are just because someone might not believe it or doesn't come up because you don't got selected. That it doesn't mean that you can't still feel valued in what you're doing. You just have to think differently about how you judge, like you said, judge your own value in yourself. So you've obviously been to two Olympic Games. For, was it 14 years apart? Yeah, 14 yeah. years apart. That's a big gap. Beijing is, is famous for the Usain Bolt dominating that, that Olympics, really, yeah. isn't it? You know, if you think back, I certainly, my memories, I think back, it was just Usain Bolt show. You went there as a, being touted as a potential medalist. There was a lot of pressure on you from the country. You've then gone back 14 years later to the Olympics with the bobsleigh. What did you learn from it and take into this recent foray back into the Olympics? My mindset as a person really came into play in terms of how I managed being at Olympic experience. I think it does with a lot of people because you have the who you are and there's also how you best prepare. So I'm very laid back, very chilled. I'm not overly stressed. I'm not hypersensitive to things. Like I'm just like, ah, whatever. And I'm very easily adaptable to things. Like things don't go, go don't go well. It doesn't throw none of the works where I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And we have to do this, this and this. It's very much like, okay, that's not ideal. How do we just keep it moving? It's very much a, my, my mantra is keep it moving. That way, there is no real excuse that like you said. No one, no one cares if you're going to say, yeah, but this, 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 this happened. No one actually cares in the end. That like, you have to find a way and keep it moving. Going into the summer games and things, I was almost oblivious, a little bit naive to the pressure. I think now it would make me different just social media. I mean, I was doing interviews and interviews, sitting in cars on the phone for hours on end, back. It was like I was in the papers. It was like very different world, like splattered everywhere, a lot of hype. But also the lead up towards those games was you wouldn't believe in terms of I didn't, I was never really trying to go to Olympic Games. 
because it was okay. the final year of university. So, like, I'm 20, I just turned 22 in the January before the Games. I'm just, I'm, I graduated the day after breaking the British record. So I went into my graduation, the British record holder. And it was uh, my main focus was studying. And this goes back to, like, me, my, my heritage and being and how I've been raised because no one went to university, no one studied from my family. So it was really important for me to that milestone because that, I almost set family history actually doing that back to back. I was the first person in my family to graduate from university, period. So when when you hit those milestones, it does inspire other people. But also it is a barrier because if someone you haven't seen it or been around it, it is something you're like, well, do we do that? Because we, we don't do that as a family. So it was really important for me to focus. So I was focused on that, to be honest. So going into the games, even though I was a British record holder right after, I didn't go, right, now I'm going to like tear everything up and come against these girls at all. I was actually just really happy to be there because we didn't plan really to do it. And then even when I was training, I remember being in the village doing our training on the track. And one of the other coaches was working with me. I remember he had his phone, like he had his own stopwatches out. And I was working with one of the girls sprinting. And he was like, time in it. And he just went to me, like, do you know what you're doing? Like, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, I know. <laughs> I said to my no. And he was just like, what you're doing on the track is not like this. Because I was, I was basically running like world-class times. I am oblivious, don't know what they are, don't know what they mean. Now I would know. But then I didn't know. I was just, I just listened to my coach and got on with it. I would, he could tell me a time and I'd be like, not so. But the other coach was like, this is in, like, this is insane. You are, you're ready to go. So I was definitely in the house of like physically and mentally ready. But the one thing was different about definitely like 14 year gap was, like I mentioned in the very beginning about how, what your intentions lie. So my intentions wasn't to go and like make the final or medal and stuff. I didn't even think about that stuff because I almost had still a little bit of this imposter syndrome kind of like, oh, I can't believe it's me. Because when I broke the British record and my coach came up to me and said, you're the first British woman to run sub 11, but no one had run, broken the 11 second barrier ever anyway. I said to him, I literally said to him in that moment, you're joking. I said, someone must have done it before me. And he said to me, don't be silly. He was like, no one's done that. And I was, and I kept on thinking to myself, what me? I'm the first person. And I just couldn't match the, the, the person they're talking about on the papers and they're saying this British young girl, the fast British one, one to watch. I was getting all this stuff with me, it being me, because I didn't ever feel like, do you know what I can do? I can do madness. I was always holding back in the fear of doing that. So when I finally stepped into those shoes, I was like, oh gosh, that's actually, that's me. Whereas now, I get it because sometimes now I have to not remind people, but it's kind of like, I'm just like, I'm not normal. <laughs> so even if, I might set ridiculous goals and say, they're like, you can't do that. It's not a thing. And I'm like, with all due respect, I've done stuff before that no one's ever done before. So it's my, my perspective is very different to most people's because I'm like, well, you can do it. So how much of the stuff with the relay fueled your next five years in athletics and, and what you know what happened there and so I think how it changed it actually changed me like twice I think so when we went to the Beijing games and this is another thing as well not having that mindset of like we can go for a medal here didn't even really we were we, we knew we weren't good but we weren't thinking we're going to go and medal at the Olympic games because I was just like oh it's going to go and have fun whereas now every, the mindset is very different you're like no we can actually it's very realistic like go and get a medal girls Whereas we had a lot of pushback, we had a lot of management that didn't, I don't think was as supportive as they want, as they, they needed to be in terms of instilling confidence to say, you guys can do this, go and get it, rather than it being like, oh, we're kind of now thrown in the place where we're actually in the mix. Um, and so we went to the relay, we were ready to go, we qualified. And then I remember just on, on my chain, we didn't get the baton round. And I remember in the moment, not having a clue what was going on didn't have a clue and I was just like it happened so fast because remember do you remember the 20 meter changeover happens in two seconds and we had the fastest change in history from first to second on the time we've got biomechanics data so we'd already done the fastest time we were on we were on track and now we look back we probably would be Olympic champions right now um because Russia got disqualified Jamaica wasn't even in it I think USA behind us like actually in terms of where we would have ranked if we if we'd come third because of the disqualifications now that have happened since, we would probably be Olympic champions right now, the former Olympic champions, um, which would have changed history for everybody moving forward. Um, but it wasn't so happen. It happened that 
I was running. I felt like, the, honestly, the Jamaicans just felt pressure from us running so fast. I had the, yeah. I had the fastest leg, I think, on, in, on second leg in history at that moment in time. I think it's been topped since then. Um, definitely has. But at the time, I had the fastest leg in history in second leg. And I just felt like the, the Americans just, the Jamaicans just thought they're just coming up too fast to us. Why are they so close? And what happened was she turned her head and was looking back, which you never do in a hundred meter in, in sprint relay, because your head is your steering wheel. So wherever you turn your head, you know, you're now going. So rather than looking forward, she was looking back and turning, which means her body was going into my lane. So the, she ran out of her lane, ran into my lane, tossed me about twice. I couldn't get the baton in because it was two seconds to get it in. Um, my son I was driving into, couldn't slow down in time. And we just left, dropped, completely had the baton in my hand. It was like, what is going on? And it was devastating. Like it was, it was more shock. I think we were in shock than upset. Because we all didn't know how, we didn't know what. And then it made it worse that it felt like I could have done it. But actually, when I look back and I'm like, there's no way that I, and it's hard for me to say that because I always want to, I'm like, I can, you can always do something. There's no way that that we could have done anything differently. The only thing I could have done differently would have been like, you need to slow down and just let me get it in there. Because everything happened so fast, I wasn't aware. But having the, the evaluation and looking back at it and going right, how, like, what happened, what we went through, and then move forward. And I remember my coach going to his gosh, that was probably you guys' only chance ever to get a, a medal. And it, and it, yeah, you're right, because we haven't got one. So it was like, actually looking back at it, I'm like, gosh, that was a, was a last chance saloon. But in the same breath, you have to come to some kind of closure about it to move forward in performance. Um, because you're just ever like, holding yourself back forever. Like, stuff happens in sport all the time. Now, when I see, our teams drop the baton or someone pulls up unfortunately injured or they're sick, they've managed to do something. I just look at it and go, you know what, guys? Do not beat yourself up. This is this will happen in sport and will continue. You're not the first and you're not the last that's going to happen to. There's so many disappointments at that high level. It's a part of the game. And you have to learn, like I said, to lose as well as win. Otherwise, you won't ever be able to get back on the horse to achieve. Like you, you just won't. You just end up wasting away and going, I can't be bothered to go through that pain again because it is a lot of pain. But I used it in terms of being able to learn from how I was when I went into it in terms of knowing what my expectations were. Because prior, I remember the year before even, going to European under-23s, I didn't even know. I was favourite to win. And from the semi-final to the heat semi-final, I was favourite to win. I didn't have a clue. I only realised when I was warming up for the final because I kept on seeing eyes on me. Every time I did a run, coaches were looking at me, athletes were looking at me. And I was just like, why is everyone staring at me? I, hadn't, <laughs> I didn't have a clue. I hadn't clocked that I had run the fastest times in each round. Didn't have a clue. Okay. That's how oblivious I was. You understand now why I mentioned that my, the way I am sometimes serves a purpose for me because it allows me to stay distracted from all the noise. Because all of that is noise. You don't need to know that your favourite, all that pressure. You, you might want to know, like, look, perform. But I'd run a PB in the heat, a PB in the semi. I was ranked, went from 15th to first. And then I equal, we, I ran the same time as the first position and got the silver medal by two one thousandths of a second. I love that. And I went, I only went into the race. I didn't even know it. 14th was 15th, it was ranked. I didn't have a clue. So I used that as, and that, like I said, experiences going in. The naivety of stuff helped and it also helped me move on because I just said, you know what? I still need to move on and be successful in life. Like, I, I'm not going to let this one thing hold me back for the rest of my life. It doesn't make any sense. So to come back and go, you know what? I went back 14 years and did something that no one's ever done before. And hopefully, like, I, I, this is not just for me. It's for any other um, future, a female in sport, woman in sport, young girl that's going, actually, I can do the never done before. I can do the impossible because I'm going to choose to do it and not let those past experiences in the same like in the same arena at the same country at the same games like take hold of me I love as well that you and you're right by the way what you've done was it, it has been inspirational for a lot of people hence it's had so much media attention I think anybody that goes from one thing to just achieving such success again 14 years later is massive was that for you was that quite a nice sense of closure as well to say I can do it again I've repeated this success it was it was definitely because I always like to like you said, find a way that I can make myself feel like what's my best, absolute best. And I remember I didn't make the 2018 games as a competing athlete. I had surgery, hamstring surgery, 
after running in the summer um, in the May of 2017. So I had six months to try and make the Olympic team. And then I had six weeks to make a little bit team because I had a knee problem straight after having the hamstring. I got back really, really fast because I'm a little bit like Wolverine. I heal very, very fast. So yeah. I, get, I get back pretty quick. Like I can I can get back quite quickly. And I remember the Team GB doctor said to me, he was like, how long have we got? And I was like, we've got six weeks. <laughs> and he was said to me, and I remember these words because it may, almost made me cry. He said to me, well, Mon, he said, if anyone can do it, he says, you can. And I was like, that means a lot to me that, he he reminded me what who I am in those moments where I was like, you don't have long, you, you're going to qualify in six weeks time. You're not even running. And I made the team as a reserve. So being there was still like, I've achieved something here. And then I was like, but actually I can go one better. And then I thought, oh, actually, has, anyone, has anyone done the double? And I was like, that could be me. So I thought, I'm going to try. I'm, I'm going to purpose it. And I intentionally put it out there and said I'm going to try and make history guys whether I get it or not is you know I could easily not get it but I'm going to try because the trying and the failing is better than me never trying at all looking back and saying I- I'm not sure and it definitely gave me a piece a sense of I'm-, I'm able to perform at high level over a long period of time because and I actually got this and you can see so this actual necklace is the bird's nest yeah Beijing Be- Beijing bird's nest yeah um, it's got a little diamondy thing on it, and on here it says Beijing. Um, and I got this from the Winter Games in like in the village, where there's like a jewelry store and stuff, as a reminder to me because it is a special place to me. But it also reminds me of that longevity of performance, but also that you break bound, you're breaking barriers even over a long period of time, and not just doing status quo. I'm like, well, how can I push the envelope and keep pushing it? And we can always reinvent ourselves and I wanted to be an example of that it's never too late because everyone gets told that oh you've passed it now you're not you know even in professional mm, do you think you still want to get into that you're going to change careers now you're like 40s you're going to yes I am because I want to and I can and it's never too late so do you know Derek Redmond has done this four times he's done change sports four times professionally four times yeah and he's now just started boxing and he's going to try and go pro he's in his 50s and he's going to try and be a pro boxer. So he did, obviously he was a sprinter. Yeah. Um, then he did basketball and he played for England. Then he took up rugby. He played sevens, tried to get in. I was going to do that. Uh, then he took up motorcycle racing, set up his own team and won the British Championships. And now he's taken up boxing and he's going to try and go pro and he's in his 50s. I need to meet him. He's like me and a man. Me and him went to watch Man United a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, yeah, he hasn't changed. You honestly, like he's fifty. I think uh, you and me are the same age. I'm thirty six. I just turned thirty six. Yeah, I just turned thirty seven on Tuesday. So. Oh, okay, yeah. So same school year. Yeah. yeah, he's um. So yeah, he's like in his fifties, and he makes me feel like oh, yeah. seventy. <laughs> that's impressive, right? I mean, that's what I mean. Like you're, you're obviously you're same age as me. You're feeling a bit now, like I am getting on a little bit. Like I'm, I feel young, but I'm still. And you've got three kids, so you're definitely like. They're, they're aging you faster than, than I'm being oh, aged. Cheers. <laughs> no, they won't be. They're kids. That's what they're <laughs> but in the same breath, you'll speak to Derek and he would be like, oh my gosh, you're only 36. Trust yeah. me, you're young. And it's that perspective of having, I had my, I have a coach actually, because I've been, been doing, um, secret, I've been doing some hurdles. Don't tell anybody. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I'm going to compete yet, but I would love to. But I've, honestly, I'm no, there's no pressure. I'm just enjoying. I'm enjoying the like I said, it's the year of the new for me. So anything that's new, I like to rechallenge myself and learn new skills because it also helps my coaching when I learn yeah. how to do something to help bring it to them. And my, my coach is like 50. Similar, I said to my gosh, you're similar age to my dad. I think he was sitting 54, so he's a few years younger than my dad. And then. Um, he said to me, gosh, I would, I'd loved 36. He goes, that's young. I was still trying to compete then at 36. And I was like, well, hence why I'm still here. <laughs> yes, I understand that. But you have perspective. We feel like we are someplace, but to someone, you're always going to be, you're going to be young. So it's like, well, why not keep reinventing yourself and doing it? Because it's the thing that actually keeps you going. And you just, and everyone deserves that opportunity and chance in their lives to, to still be the best version of themselves, no matter where they are in their life. So you're my age, so you'll remember core run-ins. Yeah. So you don't, you know, on on the uh, on this podcast, my first ever interview was the captain of the bobsled team, core run-ins. Really? Evan Harris, his name is. So he was uh, he was in the military in Britain. So he, he grew up in a really poor area of Jamaica, 
um, he went to school, he trained in athletics, he tried to get out of the area and he, he had quite a tough time for it, trying to break out of the area he grew up in. He was bullied quite a bit um, because he was trying to learn, trying to train himself, trying to better himself. Yeah. He then moved to Britain. He went to Sandhurst Military Academy and they retrained him and said, look, do you want to apply to try and be in the, the bobsled team for Jamaica? And he's like, yeah, I'll give it a go. And next thing you know, he's inspiring Cool Runnings, the Disney That's film. And to us it's like this is just a great movie and I actually watched that for my um race prep for my first race like real story I was in my I was in our like, hotel room and I sat there and I was got my first race tomorrow so obviously I'm bricking it a little bit I'm just like nervous but excited but I don't know what to expect so I just put on cool run-ins watched it the night before the race and then I went down and I remember thinking this is nothing like this, this is nothing like they made it out this is way worse it's, it's so much Oh, it's so much worse. I was like, that looked way fun, apart from obviously them crashing. I was like, this is horrendous. But I loved it. And I'm a bit of a adrenaline junkie like that. Like, I really like the fast stuff. Like, the, the motor racing you mentioned with Derek. I would love to do Formula One. I'm not going to like Even Formula whatever. Because I've been on Silverstone before. And I absolutely... I got it for my, my birthday presents um, way back from my other half. Because I like fast. I like speed. I like cars. And I'd love to have been able to, like, train it a bit just to, to learn to do that and we actually went up to Silverstone the um the instructor had said to me got the highest mark that he could have ever given someone on their first run and I was like oh, me and it was just like he was like you're actually very very good and I'm like you I said if you drove, drove in the car with my mum I said you understand <laughs> you understand why I've been trained since birth to be honest to do to drive back so funny so yeah. funny how competitive you are so I met Derek he lives by Silverstone so he, his race team was based out of Silverstone and I went down with my my wife and my father-in-law, John, to watch the BTB, um, the the British Superbike yeah. Championships. Then he came and met us. So on his, he rides a bike. He came and met us on his bike, and we I got some food and stuff. It. But yeah, I'll put you in touch with him if yeah, you want. He'd love to. But that. mate, honestly, Devin Harris is what a guy. It's what a guy. Insane. He's doing loads of charity work around Jamaica as well. Like he's oh, so fascinated. He sometimes still reaches out because I give him a hand with his charity, putting him in touch with different organisations and things. Yeah. Oh, before we go, last last two questions. Sorry, I, I just rambled. I'm really sorry. Um, so the last two questions would be, if you had to determine what an Olympic mindset was, there's not many people that can say they did this twice, yeah. to distill this down into a mindset of particular things that you have to do to be successful. I know you've kind of answered this question when we spoke about going back and looking at success, but I'm speaking specifically around the mindset of an Olympian now. Oh, sure. What would you say those three characteristics would be? Oh my gosh, yeah. Good question. So I would say the Olympic mindset, knowing that I've been to two Olympics and like what do, is it about it that you think? And I've got to narrow down why I think people don't necessarily not everyone, some people do have. I would say okay, number one, definitely the Olympic mindset is just the aspiration for greatness to actually try and get something that is seemingly has to almost be impossible but just about in which be like okay that's going to be hard to do because no one does it or very few people do it um is you've been able to do that number two is definitely how you overcome barriers because like even in the professional world but then it's one of the key things that say for example employers I'm in recruitment now so I know they're one of the key things that employers actually look for and young people don't even realize that that's one of the key things especially after coming off the last few years that we've had globally like resilience is the one of the utmost things because if we know that things success isn't linear we know that there's going to be ups and downs the up is always fine, so we can get through that. But the down is the tricky part. So it's figuring out how do you overcome those. But also resilience in itself as a definition is overcoming a barrier to be better than before. So it's not about just going back to where you were. It's then still pushing on. And that's definitely an Olympic, I think, mindset in how knowing that you have to get back to where you were, but then push past that barrier once you've set that ridiculous outlandish extreme goal that you've that you've had and not be afraid to try it and I think the last thing I would say about the Olympic mindset is apart from the resilience it's definitely the I want to say dedication and commitment and dedication commitment and persistence come under the same umbrella it's that 
been because not every everyone is not going to be motivated. We talk about wanting it and wanting it and desiring it. It's not enough to desire it. It really isn't. That's an Olympic mindset. Because I feel like if you if you've been to an Olympics or an Olympian or Olympic medalist, you understand that one everyone wants it. Yeah. It depends on who's willing to get and do it and who's gonna get there and how you bridge the gap between what you want and what you're able to to actually achieve is the that your diligence. Everyone is not no one's gonna not everyone's gonna be motivated, but we have to be disciplined. And the discipline will override any kind of feeling on the day. Friday feels Monday mood, Sunday in the hill, anything like that, your discipline, which which is 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 mainly habitual, creating those healthy habits, is the one that separates those from can't be bothered today. Because the, the non-Olympic mindset says this one thing's not gonna make a difference. The Olympic mindset says that one thing will be the difference. Montel, thank you so much for joining me today. And you know, it's been amazing to hear about your journey, your success your failures, your attitude to life, is it's infectious, honestly, Montel. And looking forward to seeing you racing at Silverstone in a few years' time. No, I heard it here first. I'm gonna, <laughs> to be there. My neck won't cope, I'm not going to lie, to be fair. I've got bad neck <laughs> and so it's not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining me, Dominic Broad, at the Olympic Mindset Podcast. Brought to you by Pearson, the world's learning organisation. A big thanks to all of you for listening today. If you've liked what you've heard, please like, follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcast from, completely free of charge. See you next time.